Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Lee Chandler's podcast series. My name is Mia Manjuna, and I am joined by Andy Colando, Ariel Henricks, Ellie Manegro, and Elisa Moon. For our new listeners out there, Lee Chandler Enterprises is a financial consulting firm that seeks to provide entrepreneurs and small businesses with investment opportunities for equity or creative finance solutions. We specialize in business development, expansions, startups, funding market, and executive strategy. Lee Chandler prides itself on doing business with the utmost integrity and respect to clients, so if you or someone you know is seeking any of the aforementioned services, consider making an appointment with a Lee Chandler representative. In today's podcast, we will be discussing businesses that were born during the 2008 recession and their relevance today. We will additionally open up the floor for questions at the end. With that being said, I'm going to hand the mic over to Ariel, who will start us off with discussing what happened during the Great Recession. Thank you, Nia. So before we really get into startup culture, um, I really want to dive into the Great Recession, how it was caused, and uh, what it ultimately led to. So the housing bubble of 2008 was partially a result of a bubble in the tech sector, With the boom of the dot-com era, tech companies saw stock prices quickly skyrocketing and inflating without yet producing high earnings to show for it. Then the NASDAQ peaked in 2000 and with that, stock prices came crashing down to very low numbers. So investors quickly moved all their money from technology to real estate, which is often seen as a very safe investment. At the same time, the Federal Reserve was cutting interest rates to combat the tech-related recession. So this influx of money and credit combined with low interest rates led to the overvaluation of real estate prices by 50 to 100%, and more people began to buy and sell. Lenders at the same time were lowering their interest rates and loosening requirements, which ultimately led to 56% of home purchases being made by buyers would normally be underqualified. Then the stock market started to recover and interest rates were rising. What this meant was adjustable rate mortgages began to increase their rates and real estate valuations were going down at the same time. At the same time, investment in real estate slowed down and this meant that investors and lenders were underwater and with no buyers in the market, many people began defaulting on their mortgages. From this, many people in America lost their life savings and would be in debt for years to come. As we know, the coronavirus has severely impacted the U.S. economy. According to the U.S. Commerce Department, the economy shrank at a 4.8% annual rate in the first three months of the year, the first quarterly contraction since 2014 and the largest since the Great Recession. Economists predict a recession on the horizon, but what does that mean for entrepreneurs? While it may seem irresponsible and risky to start a new business during this time, forming a startup during an economic downturn can have its share of competitive advantages. In fact, a number of well-known brands today were started during the 2008 recession. This includes Credit Karma in 2007, Groupon and Airbnb in 2008, WhatsApp, Venmo, Slack, and Uber in 2009, and Warby Parker in 2010. Luck was certainly an element of some of these companies' success, 
but there are a number of strategic factors involved as well. Ellie will further explain this. Now for the burning question on why these businesses succeeded. It's not a one-size-fits-all kind of answer to that question. What I mean by that is that depending on the goods or services provided, it will affect the answer to why they survived. One perfect example is Groupon. A company like that survived because they helped both local businesses and consumers during a period when they needed it most. They gave consumers discounts on non-essential products they desired in a desperate time. This in turn incentivized consumers to purchase from businesses that were otherwise suffering. They managed to do all of this while making a profit. Another great example is Credit Karma. According to Ken Lin, the founder of Credit Karma, it's all about focusing on the long term. He told Fox Business that building and scaling an impactful business requires a drive beyond making money. Having the passion to deliver on your company's purpose will fuel you through the trying times. The truth is, there is never a perfect time to start a company, and it's important to allocate resources from the outset. Another reason a company like Credit Karma succeeded is because when faced with the decision to choose doing the right thing for its members or increasing its bottom line, it always chose its members. Lynn said that you need to be willing to sacrifice short-term profit gains to protect your customers. The key takeaway is raw passion for your company and its purpose. If you truly believe in what your company stands for, it could get you through even the lowest of lows. As of right now, there are always opportunities for businesses to start up and grow. As Ellen mentioned, there is never a right or wrong time to start a business. It solely depends on the entrepreneur and when they feel ready to make things happen, rather than waiting for the opportunity to come to them. Um, as mentioned before, many businesses were able to start up during a recession and many of those opportunities still exist today. For one, during a recession, many products and services are cheaper. Without the competing prices, it makes businesses easier to grow and expand more. There's also less competition with big companies. Um, during a recession, many larger companies become more cautious about their spending and they have less confidence to launch new ideas and new ventures. So there will also be further investors willing or unable to fund them. Um, additionally, governments usually offer more support to smaller businesses by giving them grants or other funding, so there's always opportunity to grow. As you see now, there are many people unemployed, which means that there are more talent-seeking opportunities. Many of the big companies lay off their workers, so it's easier for startup companies to find top-tier and talented workers. Um, every recession eventually comes to an end, and these small startup companies will be the one that takes full advantage of investors when the economy recovers. I think overall that opportunities to start up companies right now, there are always opportunities to start up companies right now, although there may not be the exact same conditions and opportunities in the past. In any recession, regardless of a recession, actually, startups that do well are the ones that problem solve. For example, there are a lot of medical surgery device startups happening right now to help overcome the pandemic. So opportunities are always available for startups. Elisa, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. Absolutely. Definitely a, a time where we're going to see a lot of innovation, a, a time of um, a lot of ingenuity and sort of out of the ashes of this coronavirus induced recession we're experiencing. Just like in the 2008-2009 Great Recession um, and the years following that, we're definitely going to see a lot of 
uh, a very significant resurgence, I would say, of different startups, different new uh, business ideas. And uh, along with the sort of the fundamental parallels, I think it's especially interesting um, what we're going to see coming out of this um, recession, because this is a type of recession. It's been induced by factors that really we've never experienced anything like this before. So, uh, you know, when we talked about 2008, 2009, during the historic, historic Great Recession, that was only really comparable to the uh, uh, Great Depression. Um, in contrast to that, right now, this recession, it's all about externalities. It's not caused by a big bank crash. It's not caused by carelessness or greed, um, uh, a housing bubble or any type of economic bubble like that. It's really all about this one big externality, which is the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic um, that has impacted our global economy in ways that previously were really unimaginable. Um, this, again, all comes on the tail end of well, really not even the tail end. Really, it was a, a very strong economy with no real clear end to its its growth. We were on um, some of the lowest unemployment of all time with 94 consecutive months of job creation in the United States. And if you ask most experts, really, there was no reason for it to stop. There was a couple of concerns here and there. Maybe not that there's a little bit of correction, but certainly no reason for us to fall into a recession. But this externality has changed all that. So we went from a super healthy economy with one of the most uh, historically long um, recoveries in American history and really the history of like the global economy. And now we've gone into one of the most striking and extremely sharp um, economic contractions that we've ever experienced. Um, a, a, another major thing that's very different about this is that all areas of business, the entire economy, not just the United States, but the world as a whole, uh, has been severely affected by this. In 2008, of course, the entire economy was affected, but the most dramatic immediate impacts um, was on housing prices, the you know, housing bubble bursting and things like that. Um, but this time, the entire economy and really just society, even beyond the finances of everything, um, has gone to a standstill. So this is not just a financial recession. We are experiencing um, unprecedented societal shifts. And I think that's where we'll see, um, even though I, I think, you know, we definitely will be seeing a lot of the fundamental parallels um, with what was experienced in 2008, 2009, um, previous economic contractions, contractions where you see um, a rise in startups and new innovative businesses being created. I think it'll be very um, different, the intricacies of the landscape that these new businesses and these startups will have to navigate. Um, one big example I think of that is social distancing and the rise of the online workspace, online learning for college students and uh, high school students and things of that nature. Um, that's gonna leave a very lasting impact on the world and the way we do business. Um, and while it does absolutely present opportunities for businesses to take advantage of that. I mean, just look at it, a company that, I don't know if I'd really classify it as a startup anymore, but a company that was definitely pretty new and very innovative, but Zoom Technologies. Um, I mean, if anybody looks at their stock price there, you know, it's going through the roof. They've really been able to leverage um, their ideas and what they offer their services um, based on sort of the societal shift that we're experiencing because everybody uses Zoom. We're actually using Zoom to record this right now. Um, but at the same time, it's going to pose unique and you know, previously unencountered challenges because I can't just, if I have an idea, for example, I can't just go to you know, somebody a couple miles down the road and meet at their house and start talking about things and flushing out ideas and stuff like that. And you know, a lot of the most historic startups that have grown to you know, unicorn level prominence being worth you know, valued over billions and billions of dollars now, um, a lot of them were started, you know, in a garage, in a workshop, and now you don't have the opportunity, unless you do it over Zoom, I guess, uh, to have that, you know, in-person interaction, that that workshop environment, that opportunity to bounce off ideas off each other and really, you know, flesh out these innovative um, and ingenuitive um, ideas. So 
it's definitely going to pose uh, a mix of new opportunities and also new challenges. So I, I think the bottom line on it all is what we're going to see is going to be companies that are experienced because they have to. Um, so um, there's hey, a yeah. lot of new challenges out there, I guess. But uh, you cut out for about 30 seconds there. I don't know if maybe you want to uh, go over whatever you just said. Oh shoot! Sorry, guys. That, I guess that was my internet. What, what was the last thing I, you heard me say? Oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I believe it oh, was shoot. like the part about it will pose opportunities. Okay. Uh, all right. I'll, yeah, I'll just I'll just wrap it up. I was probably starting to ramble anyway, so I'll just wrap it up. Uh, I'll just say, <laughs> let me think it for a second. What I should stay there. So I was talking about the opportunities. So I I believe so. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, just to sort of summarize it all, while there's a lot of opportunity like there has been in the past, um, at the same time, these companies are going to have to navigate um, a realm of new challenges, new difficulties that go beyond just what you normally experience. And I guess what many would consider a quote unquote conventional recession, something we've seen, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, like the dot com uh, bubble burst and things like that in 2008, 2009 with the Great Recession. Um, now we're experiencing challenges that go far beyond the financials of the company, challenges to where we just physically cannot meet with one another and flesh out ideas and, you know, develop the innovations that are going to drive these startups. So there's surely ways around that. Um, Zoom has been a great example of what you can, you know, at least to a certain degree get around that. So there's a lot of new challenges, but I think in the end, even if it's not as many startups, because some of these challenges are going to block some of them, um, I think in the end, the companies that do, you know, surge ahead out of this uh, coronavirus recession are going to be ones that are innovative to perhaps degrees that we've, you know, never even seen. If you thought things were innovative after the Great Recession, just hold on to your hats, you know. Thanks, Andy, for that. So this is a lot of information and we understand that. Uh, to conclude, really, the main points of this podcast, we found that there are five major characteristics of recession-resistant companies. One, they can provide a critical service of some sort. Two, they can sell consumer essentials. Three, they can serve through government contracts. Four, they can provide mandated products or services. And five, they can sell proprietary or specialized products. A company doesn't need to possess all five of these characteristics, but we've noticed that the most successful companies have possessed at least one. In terms of survival, companies need to slow their cash outflows, speed up their cash inflows, and position themselves for a recession. Whether this means lowering inventory costs, revamping marketing, increasing teamwork to productivity, etc. But please do keep in mind that there is no foolproof method for survival. There are ways to distinguish yourself during economic crises and take advantage of certain opportunities, but these are unpredictable times and all we can really do is think retroactively. The companies that emerge from this recession period will be new and innovative, but we may not necessarily see as quick or plentiful a surge as there was from the Great Recession. And that's all from us this week. Make sure to tune in for our next podcast on June 30th, same time, same place. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>